So, Mark. Yes. Sometimes. Wow, that spooky. Was a very, I was say, that was a very spooky voice. It's Halloween. I'm it's getting just, in the spirit of it, things. The spirit of the spooky season. Yeah. So, sometimes we pick movies without really knowing anything about them. Like, we did that recently with Barbershop. Yes. Which was an enjoyable experience. It had its moments. It had its moments. We roll the dice every once in a while. There are some, like, like Sleepless in Seattle we hadn't seen, but we were like, we know basically what this is, and we're going to watch it. Right. And then sometimes we're like, we don't really know anything about this movie, but we're going to do it. And that's kind of where Bride of Frankenstein was. Or what really Bride of Frankenstein is, is we think we know what this movie is about, and turns out we are entirely wrong. We... We're really excited about doing this movie being like Halloween and romance and old school monsters. And there is very little. Well, there is. But it's very subtle because it's actually a gay relationship between Frankenstein and the evil Dr. Pretorius. Dr. Pretorius is the best character in American cinema or American storytelling. That character, everything about it is perfect. It's magnificent. By the way, his first name, what's his first name again? It's Dr. Septimus Pretorius. He, more than Frankenstein, is the true mad scientist. Oh, totally. Like, way more than Frankenstein ever was, I feel. I haven't seen the first one, but in terms of how he just looks, Pretorius is how we think of mad scientists. Yes, and it's also worth noting that Frankenstein made one guy. Yes. Dr. Pretorius made a bunch of tiny people that he has living in little glass jars, and he has them, like, taunting each other. And he's like, oh, no, little man, you're too naughty. You've got to stay away because the king is, like, really horny or something. Yeah, really horny for the queen. Yeah, and he's like, no, no, king, like, you're bad. Go back in here. That actually got this movie censored in Japan. Really? Because this is the empire. Oh, right. And they said that it made kings look like fools. Yep, fair. Does, kind of. Oh, absolutely. I am so confused because that is so much more impressive than anything Frankenstein did. Right. Frankenstein guys like, have no personality. They can't talk. Yeah. Or they're guy. Like, they're, yeah. His one dude. Yeah. Praetor- Why does Pretorius need Frankenstein except for sex? I, <laughs> I think that it's what he says, which is that Frankenstein mastered size in a way that Pretorius never could. Yeah. You know, Pretorius can't make children in the normal, natural way. So he must resort to unnatural measures. Exactly. And he needs Frankenstein's size skills to help him with it. This is the gayest movie we've watched <laughs> since The Birdcage. <laughs> I um, loved it. It's it's so fun. It's like everybody in this movie committed 110%, especially on their dialect work. <laughs> oh, for sure. Dr. Pretorius is from England, and he has the classic transatlantic accent, which requires so much work for both British and American people, which I appreciate. Like, yeah. the amount of effort you have to go into learning this accent no one has It doesn't exist. It's not a real accent. With. Oh, I love it. But I think my favorite accent work is at the beginning. Not the prologue with Mary Shelley, but the first, like, proper scene right when the previous movie had ended. Yeah. There's the one old lady who's, like, telling everybody, like, oh, yes, the monster's gone. Because nobody has a consistent You mean my favorite character? In this movie. Yeah. I'm not sure who it is. I want to say it's Hans's wife, unless Hans is somebody else. No, I think Hans is the guy the monster kills. Okay. So is she Minnie, then? I don't know. Let's. I'm going to look at the cast list. Anyway, there's this woman who's doing an outrageous 
like almost cockney accent as a man goes into this is a man whose daughter was killed by the monster in the first movie and the man goes into the collapsed windmill because he wants to see the monster's dead body with his own eyes and he's going in and she's watching him and giving him advice and in wonderful exuberant cockney accent she shouts cross yourself quick as he goes in and it's just a magnificent delivery and i love it so much and i want her to shout that at everybody in horror movies she is mini she's mini yeah yeah okay so that's yuna o'connor as mini she's terrific and i need her in every horror movie even like the super social ones like get out i need her when daniel kaluuya is about to walk in the house to just pop out of the bushes and go cross yourself quick so before we like actually get into the movie because it's kind of where we are already what did you think was going to happen in this movie so i thought the bride was going to show up early me like too. the beginning was gonna be like dr frankenstein by the way i've never seen the original frankenstein me neither it's i'm fine by the time this episode comes out i will have seen it but my theory was dr frankenstein would be like oh you know what like i should build a bride or at the very least like like in the book the monster goes back to frankenstein and is like i don't fit in this world make me a bride she and i will go off to south america together and just like live on our own and have a nice life and so that's why in the book victor frankenstein starts making a person He winds up not actually doing it. But then I assumed that would be the movie, or at the very least, Henry Frankenstein, whose name has been changed, would just, like, make one for some reason. And then the movie would be about the two monsters, like, going around and, like, being in weird monster love and scaring some people. Instead, none of that happens. What did you think was going to happen? Very similar. I thought maybe not right away. I thought it would be, like, at least halfway through the movie because it would take effort for him to create the bride i thought there would be like process with that and he would be hampered by the townsfolk who are already suspicious of him as well they should be oh yeah and he would then like the bride would show up and it would be about the bride and the monster i guess falling in love yeah they would like like, have a monster meet cute yeah then a monster first date and then a monster dumb argument so then you have a monster falling out that could easily be solved if they monster talked to each other and then a monster resolution and probably a monster wedding that comes too quickly i at least thought we were going to get more of her hissing and then right before (sighs) the wedding yuma o'connor would pop out and say cross yourself quick yeah All I knew about the bride herself, too, was, like, the streaks in her hair and the hissing. And the fact that her hair looks like she just pulled it out of, like, a funnel. Yeah. It's great. Apparently, it was designed to look like Nefertiti. Oh. Did not capture that. Uh, I did not pick up on that during the movie. I picked up on that when I was reading about the production. Yeah, not at all. So, spoiler, not a ton of romance in this movie. Nope. But we're going to do our best. Yeah. And we're going to have fun. Yeah, because it's time for Heart of Podness. Cross yourself, quick! I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. And this is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Or even likable? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And as we have said already, we are celebrating the season of Spook with the mother of all movie monsters, the one created by Dr. Frankenstein. And because we love the love, we're doing the one where he searches for love. 1935's Bride of Frankenstein, also directed by James Whale. So another reason I thought this one would be good is because it seems to be the only one with like a female monster that I can think of. Is there not like a female vampire? Let me look at the list of the famous universal monsters, but the only ones I can think of are like Creature from the Black Lagoon, The Mummy, Dracula, Dracula, Frankenstein's Monster, 
was gonna say Frankenstein, but I mean those are the I big ones. And then of course there's uh assassin. the Wolfman. The Wolfman, yeah. Abbott and Costello. Who exist in the Universal Monster Universe because famously Abbott and Costello met Frankenstein in a movie. Didn't they meet the Wolfman too? Yes, they did. Well, and possibly go- the mummy as well. If we're going with that logic, like, didn't Scooby Doo and the gang meet these characters too? Was it officially the universal incarnations of them? I'm not sure about that. I feel like they also met Abbott and Costello at one point. That's possible. We have already discussed the fact that I know very little about Scooby Doo. Yeah, which is such a shame. Yeah, I just didn't watch a lot of TV growing up. I know. That was a good one. If not, horribly racist in a lot of <laughs> well, times. Yes. Um, so, Will. Yes. What can we say about the romance of this movie? Um, you know, there is not a ton. And it's worth noting that James Whale himself originally refused to do a sequel because he said he had squeezed the idea dry in the first movie. And he's like, I got nothing else. But even in test screenings, Universal had realized that the movie was going to be a big hit. Yeah. And so they were like, we got to do it. And they were trying really hard to get James Whale to come back and do it again. They were like, he's the only guy who can do it. And he eventually agreed to do it in exchange for being allowed to direct this other movie he had wanted to make. He was like, yeah, I'll make your Frankenstein thing, but you got to let me make this movie called One More River, which was a romance mystery that he wanted to make. And he said, if I'm going to make this, we're just going to make it, quote, a memorable hoot. And boy, did they. Yeah. Wow. He did a great job with that. I appreciate that self-awareness. I like James Whale because he was openly gay for, yeah. like, 40 years in Hollywood. Yeah, it's wild. Um, and still got work. Exactly, yeah. Good for him. And especially, like, this is the beginnings of the production code when this is coming out. And the movie did face a little bit of challenge from the production code, too, because the Hayes office didn't like when they compared Dr. Frankenstein to God. I wonder why. Yeah, and they made them cut out some shots where Elsa Lanchester, who plays Mary Shelley and the Monster's Bride, they made cut out shots where she had too much boob showing. And then they also made them cut one where someone killed their uncle and blamed it on the monster. I assume during his, like, wanderings through the countryside. That would have been such a cool scene. It would have been a cool scene. Spoiler, the Hayes Code office was not cool. Yeah. It also got censored. It also got censored in China and the UK because they complained that when the monster was gazing upon the bride before she had risen, that it was necrophilia. Oh, my God. That's such a weird question. Like... Can you imagine that discussion? Having that argument with the yeah. censorship board? Oh my god, what the hell? It's like he's in love with the idea of it being alive. I don't know. Yeah, he's barely alive. Right. I mean, it's not until the sec- like halfway through his second movie that he can even talk. Yeah. Which was really controversial. Boris Karloff was really mad that they let the monster talk. He thought that it was both more endearing and more alien when it wasn't able to speak. And he really complained about it. And one of the things that Whale and the Universal Studios psychologist decided was that if they're going to put the monster in a love story, then they decided to give him the romantic mindset of a 15-year-old and the so intellectual... just wants to bone everything. Exactly. And the intellectual one of a 10-year-old. And so to decide what words the monster would be able to speak, they had a bunch of 10-year-old boys write essays, and then they found the 44 most common words in those, and those were the words that were available for the script. And smoke was there? I guess so. I don't know what the prompt was for the writing. Yeah, that's... Okay. I guess back in the 30s, the three most important things really were eat, drink, smoke. The first three words he learns from the old hermit. <laughs> the, the old hermit is a weird character. It's a weird movie. It is a weird <laughs> movie. But it was a really popular movie. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I just want to throw this at you. This is production time on a movie in the 1930s. Now, to be fair, movies in the 1930s typically did not have the long theatrical runs that movies do today. 
Like, they would be in theaters for usually about a week. Theaters were cycling movies through pretty quickly. Yeah. But that meant, too, that studios were constantly churning out new movies. And so production time was shorter than it is today. Bride of Frankenstein started shooting on January 2nd, 1935. It finished shooting on March 7th, 1935. It opened in theaters on April 20th. Oh my god. Just over a month after they finished shooting. That's insane. It's wild. There's a lot of effects in this movie, yeah, too. Yeah, there are a lot of that good special good. effects. Yeah. I mean, talk about the little dudes, the homunculi in the jars. I was so impressed with it that. Was re- they that was good. so cool. Yeah, so what they did was they shot those guys separately in life-size jars. They shot the actors there. And then they rotoscoped them onto the plate. It was so cool watching yeah. that scene. The little homunculi look really good. Yeah. Um, the movie cost $397,000 to make. Which, according to Wikipedia, adjusts to about $8.8 million today. And it made a whole lot of money. I can't say exactly what because they weren't tracking box office numbers at that point the way mm. that we do today. But it was a big success and led to the creation of several more Frankenstein movies. Was it as big as the first one or not as big? That is a terrific question that I do not know the answer to. It's the kind of thing that's, like I said, difficult to track because we don't have that exact box office information. According to Wikipedia, the first one made a hundred or not a hundred, 10 million more dollars than the second one. Okay. Which, you know, shaky estimates, but it does seem like the first one was more popular. Yes. Also, the Wikipedia page for the first movie says, based on Frankenstein novel by Mrs. Percy B. Shelley. What? Which is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I bet that's how it's credited in the movie. Yeah, probably. But at least in the second one, it is credited to, like, Mary Shelley. Yes, it is. Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley, specifically. Yeah, Which is what the role is listed as, too, in the movie. Yeah. Can we talk about that opening scene? We're going to. One last thing I want to talk about is the fact that while this movie made a little bit less money, it still did really well, and it has been sort of well thought of in the decades since then. Right. It's considered even better than the original. It's one of the examples of a sequel that's better than its already good original. Yeah. And it's been remade twice. Well, it's been remade once, and there is allegedly a second one in development. The first time in 1985, a movie called The Bride, which starred Sting as Baron Frankenstein, Clancy Brown as the monster, who's a great voice actor, and Jennifer Beals as the bride. And there has been a reboot planned as part of Universal's Dark Universe, which is, for those of you who don't know, after The Avengers came out in 2012, basically every film studio was like, oh, we all need to do a shared universe with lots of different movies that all fit together. And then you watch all of them and there's like a team up and something like that. And this way we guarantee that people see all of our movies because they feel like they have to see all of them. But where Marvel succeeded by doing Iron Man, which was just a good movie, and then being like, ah, people will watch more of this that they liked as one movie. Studios like Universal said, here are the next 10 movies we're going to make. Get pumped for all of them. And this started in 2017 with The Mummy starring Tom Cruise, which was not a hit by any measure. No, not at all. But also featured some of the other Dark Universe characters like Russell Crowe was in it as Dr. Jekyll. And I'm pretty sure there were some other characters in it. Probably. So the second movie in the Dark Universe was supposed to be Bride of Frankenstein. At one point, it looked like they were going to be starring Angelina Jolie as the bride and Javier Bardem as the monster. But their deals were never fully locked in. And as Dark Universe has kind of been shunted to the wayside in the wake of the mummy's failure. Like originally, there was a writer's room whose job was to craft Dark Universe story. And they've all quit. But Bride of Frankenstein officially is still in development. Bill Condon is attached to direct it, and they've been, like, hiring other production teams. So maybe that's going to happen? You could make a cool remake of this movie. Yeah. 
But it just doesn't need to be a cinematic universe. Exactly. They don't need to be connected. That's the weirdest thing to me is like, you could just reboot your insanely successful monster movies from the 30s and probably make good movies, but you don't have to make a universe out of it. What's so something the point? That I saw someone pitch recently was, you know who has a production and distribution deal with Universal these days? Who? Blumhouse. Oh, yeah. I would watch Blumhouse monster movies. I... A very different vibe. Would Nanobot shoot out of the bride's nose? I hope so. Shout out to Upgrade, a movie that I like more having seen Venom. What are the good Blumhouse movies? I'm trying to think. Get Out. Yeah, true. <laughs> that's the big one. Yeah. I always forget that's Blumhouse because it's good. And I associate Blumhouse with things like Upgrade and Truth or Dare. They make a lot of crappy ones, but they make a lot of solid stuff. Yeah. Plus, they're just, like, kind of cool. Yeah. I can't believe no one's ever thought of their production model before, which is make stuff that looks good really cheaply, and then it doesn't matter if it fails. Right. I guess it's easier to do in horror, which is traditionally a cheaper genre. Yeah. It's not really a star-driven genre. No. Except for in these old days when, for example, in this movie, the monster in the opening credits is just credited as KARLOFF in all caps. And is given top billing, even though his lines are... Mm-hmm. And... Eat... And that's that is an improvement, it. though, because in the original movie, he's just credited as question mark. Really? He doesn't... Yeah. How did he get so famous then? Because I thought that was his big role. It was. I mean, people... I guess people knew just who played him. It, yeah. But in the actual credits of the movie, it was just the monster question mark, which I guess was to like help build up the illusion of like, this is this monster and it's not a man. Yeah. Cross yourself quick. Spooky. So should we start talking about this wacky pants, but incredible movie? Yeah, all right. So there's basically no romance to talk about, and I had to work to get us through five points, but I'm going to do it my best. I was so glad that you took that on yourself, Yeah, and I didn't have to do it. Before we do, let's talk briefly about the prologue scene. Maybe my favorite scene in the movie in terms of just sheer ridiculousness. So the prologue is set in the early 1800s with Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley, and Lord Byron all hanging out in a beautiful giant, like, ballroom. Yeah, I mean, and it's shown to be a castle. It's it's supposed to be recreating. I don't think it's the exact night, but it's supposed to be the, the same night that they were like writing the stories. As Mary Shelley created the story of Frankenstein, right? And Byron and Shelley are like complimenting her on like how amazing the story is and how, how successful it how is, how terrifying. And she's like, "Did you think that was all of the story? Don't forget, my goal was to impart a moral lesson." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, I see this. You guys are like the censors don't love us, so we're gonna throw them a bone." Yep. And she says that her story is actually about the dangers of men who play at God. Yeah, and it's, you know, truly a Christian story that we can all get behind. Right, exactly. It's a very moral tale, and that's what Mary Shelley wants to tell us. For sure. Despite the fact that it looks like both of these men are about to jump her bones. They probably were. I mean, yes. As well as each other's. Yes. What all a of... mad world that was. <laughs> those, those three. Yeah. I don't know if it was ever all three at once, but I definitely feel like there was some partner swapping happening oh, back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's also nice about this scene is she gives us a nice... Well, no, it's not her. It's... I think it's Byron gives us a nice recap of Frankenstein 1. Yeah. We where he's a- like, oh, it was so amazing. And he's talking about all the amazing things. It's like, oh, this is everything that happened in the last movie. Yeah. And it's definitely the movie and not Mary Shelley's book. You know, this, these movies bear no relation to Mary Shelley's book. <laughs> oh, not at all. I mean, I was going to say the name, but they even changed it from Victor to Henry. Yeah. Which is in no way a scary name. Apparently in the third one, when he's dead, there's a tombstone which shows that it's Henrik. 
Or Heinrich. I mean, yeah, because it's supposed to be vaguely Eastern European. Right. Even if the only effort at that is Minnie's weird clothes. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but anyway, so Mary Shelley is like, I wanted to impart a moral lesson, and that wasn't the end at all. And then we go back to immediately when the previous movie ended. With the burning mill. Yeah, there's the burning mill, villagers are freaking out, you've got to cross yourself, quick! And this leads into point number one. When Henry Frankenstein is presumed dead. Everyone is mourning him, which I find really weird. Yeah, these people are really upset that the dude who animated a monster to maraud through their town. People, and killed people. Killed a little girl. they just killed. And they're like, no, he's dead. Well, first they're like, we need to see what Dr. Frankenstein will say. And then they're like, no, he has died. Cross yourself, quick. Yeah, so everyone's upset that the Baron's dead. Still unclear about that especially Minnie, who is also the most vocal against the monster yeah but they're very happy that the monster is apparently dead as the mill has collapsed although he's not dead he's really down there below the mill and when the dude whose daughter was killed is like i must see her body and goes down before he goes down he's told to cross yourself quick he goes down and then he falls in and the monster maybe he tries to help him but he fails and the dude drowns Anyway, they take Henry and back to the, the castle. And the monster throws the wife down into the same pool. That was great. Also, I hope you guys realize Minnie says that once, and it's like halfway through the movie. And <laughs> she is not yelling this at every person throughout the entire film. By halfway through the movie, we mean like 20 minutes in? <laughs> yeah, this movie is an hour and 15 minutes it's long. It's glorious. It was cut from 90 minutes to 75 minutes two days before it opened by James Whale. It's shorter than an episode of Sherlock. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, Henry's taken back to the castle, and Elizabeth in this white dress with a long train. I don't think it's her wedding dress. It might be her wedding dress or a nightgown. I think it's a nightgown. It's impossible to know in the 30s based off of what Nora Charles wears. I was gonna say, in it's no Nora man. Charles nightgown. It's not on that level. But it's this long trained nightgown and she rushes and she's like weeping by his side. No, my Henry! This is his fiance who he was supposed to marry like that night. So which, maybe a wedding dress? Yeah, or at least the next night, which like guy my guy why are you busy creating monsters when you're supposed to be focused on your upcoming nuptials exactly like this seems like a post honeymoon activity yeah come on you're already getting bored with your to be wife and trying to build yourself new people well as we see with pretorius maybe he was never that interested to begin with oh so you're saying the fact that he built a man was a clue to us yeah i mean have you seen rocky horror picture show i have not what yeah you really haven't we've discussed this but it's so good. Then never mind, I've seen it. Yeah, solved it. No, but I just mean like, I'm surprised I still haven't made you watch it. No. It's very fun. But that is something Dr. Frankenfurter actually says at one point along those lines is that's why he made a man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, as Elizabeth is weeping by her beloved side, she realizes that he has begun to blink and he is alive. Hooray! What a joyous day! We're now he'll so be happy. alive and nothing bad will ever happen. And she nurses him back to health. And sometimes he's like, I've done such amazing things. And she's like, no, you didn't. You actually created a monster that killed a lot of people. And he's like, I know, but I came close. And I think that I shall never be able to resist becoming so close to being a god. And she's like, you're not god. This is a movie with a moral lesson. Mary Shelley said so. <laughs> Mary Shelley gave us the moral of the film in words at, at the, the beginning. start of it. So clearly you are not god. You will fail. Actually, he doesn't though. He doesn't get any comeuppance for playing God again. No, he doesn't. It's worth noting, in the original version of this movie, he was killed in yeah. the collapse of the right. castle. But they changed it so he's not. So you're correct. He gets no punishment for what he's done. 
he goes on a whole thing while he's talking to her and he's in his bedroom about how he discovered the formula for life and he was gonna bend the monster to his will and eventually learn the secret of eternal life and, and elizabeth oh, is like mm, nah and allowing the monsters to reproduce right he yes. does talk about creating a new race of men yeah, which is very Blade Runner 2049 of him. It's very weird because it's not really a new race. It's just like a mixture of other dead people. Like, I guess if you could get them to reproduce, it. then you've like kind of created something different. That's true. But then also like... Guys, we can't go deep on the science of this. Guys, the science of Frankenstein is weirdly shaky. Like, there's not much there. Who huh. could have guessed? That's weird. Yeah. I'm surprised by that. Who knew electricity could just reanimate a corpse with a little bit of zip-zap. I think I learned that in third grade right after we did the water cycle. Yep. It's like evaporation, precipitation, condensation, and then it's... Reanimation. Reanimation. That's the fourth Asian. Yeah. Um, all right, that, I guess, takes us to point number two. We are going to whip through these points. Yeah, so point number two, Henry's getting a little bit better and ready to take advantage of his now healthy body. Who should show up but his old mentor, Dr. Septimus Pretorius! The classic mad scientist, played by... Oh, his name is magnificent. Even his real name is great. He's Ernest Thesiger. Yeah, played by Ernest Thesiger. James Whale was open. Thesiger was essentially open. And in his direction... As to, by the way, was Colin Clive, who plays Henry Frankenstein. Oh, I didn't know that one. Because I only read the, uh, the part on the Wikipedia page. Yeah, Colin Clive was also reasonably openly gay. Um, he was also a serious alcoholic. Yeah. So he was dead by the next one and wasn't able to be in them. Really? Yeah. And actually, speaking of recasting, the original Elizabeth was recast between Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein because she had been in like a horrible car crash and had like scarring oh. all over her face and like her jaw was messed up. That's sad. Yeah. But she like recovered and had an acting career after that. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, the way James Whale told Thesiger to portray this character was as an over the top character of a bitchy and aging homosexual. <laughs> um, When he gets there, Dr. Pretorius also tells henry that he has been kicked out of the university for quote knowing too much this guy basically he knows the secret to creating life i really enjoy this sentence pretorius serves as a figure of seduction and temptation pulling frankenstein away from his bride on their wedding night to engage in the unnatural act of non-procreative life yikes yep so pretorius is trying to at the very least intellectually seduce henry yeah he wants them to work together to do exactly what Henry was talking about. Create a new race of monsters that can reproduce. And yes. then Henry and Pretorius will be their gods. And Pretorius is like, look, I too have created life as you have. I made these little homunculi that are really impressive. They look exactly like people. They have emotions. Not sure if they can talk, but they have emotions. They have they agency. They go... Yeah, it's possible that we just can't understand their high-pitched yeah. communication. And they look awesome. They look way better than the monster does. But he's like, I've mastered this, but you understand size and the importance of having something that's big and of a substantial size and that can really get the job done. So he's like, we got to team up. And Henry's like, no, no, I can't do that. And Pretorius is like, you must. Here, have some gin. Because he's a gin drinker. It's his only weakness. It's my only weakness. Later on, he says cigars are his only weakness. He's a fun character. Pretorius is great. I love him. So, Pretorius specifically wants to build the Bride of Frankenstein. He wants to build a mate for the monster. Oh my god, there is a Bride of Frankenstein in this movie. Oh yeah! There isn't just a Bride for the monster. No way, you're right! Huh! Whoa! Wow. All right, movie. 
All right, movie. Okay. I'm pleased by this. I wonder if both of them have children in Son of Frankenstein. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so that takes us, I guess, to point number three. Oh, Henry refuses. He's like, yes. nah, I'm out. Not yeah. doing this anymore. I'm with Elizabeth. We're having a great life. She does not love me doing the monster stuff. I'm a heterosexual. Now, you can't trick me into your unnatural ways of creating life. So Henry says, nah, which takes us to point number three. Now we're going to leave Henry on the side and we're going to check in on the monster. The monster escaped from the mill and it's been just like wandering the countryside. And you're like, cross yourself quick. Cross yourself quick. And as he wanders around, he meets a bunch of different people. Most notably, he meets the blind hermit. The blind hermit teaches the monster to speak. Because he's blind, he doesn't realize that he is a monster. Yeah. He only sees the good that's inside. What if we all went around in the world like that blind man? And just accepted people for who they are. I think he got killed. He did. And his house burned down. Yeah. So, that's our lesson. What a guy. Don't look for the good in strangers or your house will get burned down. Yep. That's the moral. Well, actually, doesn't it get burned down by the villagers, though? Yes. Yeah. The monster is not the cause of this. But if you associate with people whose society has decided is bad, your house will get burned down. And that's the moral Mary Shelley promised us at the start of the movie. Oh, Mary Shelley. So anyway, the monster keeps wandering around through town. Oh, by the way, the blind guy in a straight up like paraphrase of the Bible tells him it is bad to be alone. And the monster's like, hmm, bad to be alone. This was written by a fourth grader. Yeah. And he introduces the monster to the three most important things in life. Bread, wine, and cigars. Ah, yes. They're my one weakness. His three needs. Speaking of which, uh, it's not long after this that the monster is going through a graveyard where he meets Pretorius, who just, like, casually hangs out in graveyards. No, he's stealing parts for the bride. I think both of those statements are true. Yeah, that's also true. I think he's stealing parts for the bride, and he casually hangs out in graveyards. Yeah, he has a drink with the skull. Pretorius has had more than one picnic in a graveyard. Oh, for sure. And so the monster asks if Pretorius is going to build men like him and Pretorius says no I'm going to build women like you he basically introduces the concept of womanhood to him in this moment right yeah basically and the monster tells him like he knows Frankenstein made him from dead people he likes dead things is this what he says I love dead yeah exactly living hate living He's a very sad character. He is. Yeah, he's got um, possibly some emotional uh, work to do. Yeah, he does shed a single tear in a very soap opera moment. Well, yes. A very perfectly timed single tear. It's excellent. And so the monster agrees to help Pretorius with whatever he needs in exchange for Pretorius building him a bride. As long as the bride is dead. And this brings us to point four, kind of. Yes, it does. Well, Henry all of our points are kind of. Henry and Elizabeth are now married. Hooray. It happened off screen. Congratulations to you guys. I'm happy for you. I'm sure nothing will ever come between you. Oh, it's Dr. Pretorius. Look out. Cross yourself quick. While Pretorius is asking Henry to help, the monster kidnaps Elizabeth as insurance against the fact that Henry Yeah, Henry refuses. starts out by continuing to refuse. Right. And Pretorius anticipated this. And so just like you said, the monster was ready. Cross yourself quick! And so Pretorius has the monster kidnap Elizabeth and hold her hostage so that Henry will help. And he does. Point five. (laughs) They build a monster. Okay, this movie is 75 minutes. Yeah. And the monster's bride only shows up at the very end. Yeah. So basically point five, they build a bride. 
they she, recreate it, the science experiment from the first one. Yeah. And so you've got this bride who's like wrapped up in these bandages like a mummy. Yep. Dark universe, mummy, Frankenstein together. Um, they uh, then raise the bride with the electrical storm. Frankenstein stares at it before it's raised and that gets the movie banned in China. And... Then the the bride is raised and she has this amazing look. Yeah, she's she, got that Nefertiti hair. She looks great. All she does is scream and hiss. <laughs> ah! Cross yourself quick. Um, she, by the way, is played by Mary Shelley. Right, Elsa Lanchester plays yeah. both roles, and she was married to Charles Lawton, who had like a much more successful film career. They were both from the UK, yeah. and she had kind of given up on things and gone back to England. When then she got cast in Bride of Frankenstein and like came back and this was her big break. Did she do anything else after? Uh, that's a good question. Um, yes. <laughs> like a lot or a <laughs> yeah, like a lot, like a golden age actor. Oh, I was listening to you must remember this, mm-hmm. and someone was signed to direct a film every two weeks. Yeah, it's in the, stuff like, like that. Teens. It took a while for it to get longer. She was in four movies in 1935. Wow. She was in Mary Poppins. I wonder who she played. I'm trying to figure it out. She was also Jessica Marbles in Murder My Death. What, really? Yeah, she's oh. Katie Nana in Mary Poppins. Oh, 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 great, she's Katie Nana. Yeah. Oh, good for you, Elsa Lanchester. This is awesome. She's Katie Nana. She's Mrs. Marbles. Ah, excellent. I like her even more, especially knowing that early in her career, she was being Mary Shelley teaching us the moral of a story. And the moral of this story is it's okay to kidnap somebody if it gets someone else to be created for you to be in love with. And that's the moral lesson. That Mary Shelley wanted to give us. She had a good career. Yeah, wow. Okay, sorry for not knowing you, Elsa Lanchester. Yeah, I feel bad now. Yeah, you're cool. I've seen two movies with her in them before this. You've seen three? Oh, before this. Yeah. All right. Hooray. Anyway, speaking of Elsa Lanchester, she's now alive as a monster. Whoa! Whoa! And the monster is really happy, and he's like, yes, love me. And she's like, Aah! She's not into him. Yeah, well... It's unclear what she's feeling, because she doesn't look at him or anyone. She just stares into the distance and screams. Yeah, I don't which, think she's into much of anything. Which, relatable. <laughs> I mean, who among us, when we are reanimated by a lightning storm, does not scream for a while? Who among us doesn't just wake up in the morning and look into the distance and scream? <laughs> <laughs> this has way too many sounds. This episode is going to be <laughs> annoying to listen to. <laughs> So the monster is really upset. He's like, "Ugh, this is not the bride I wanted. This is no good for me. The monster tries to touch her and stuff. And at first she runs away to Henry when he tries to touch her. And then he tries again and she screams again. It's like every time he like tries to touch her, she screams. Yeah. Which like fair. Yeah. And she's You shouldn't Hen- go like touching random ladies, monster. Right. She does see Henry as like her father figure, I guess. Yeah. So the monster is really upset by this. And he grabs the, like, self-destruct lever for this castle, <laughs> yep. which they just have. Everywhere does. Yep. And he tells Henry and Elizabeth to flee. Yeah. He's like, run. We and he goes, belong we, be- dead. we belong dead. Then he pulls the lever, and Pretorius is still inside, and the castle collapses in on the monster, the bride, and Pretorius. And Henry and Elizabeth are looking scared in the road as the castle collapses. And thus ends the tale of the Bride of Frankenstein. Yay! So does that make Elizabeth the titular character? I guess so. Yeah, in a way. All right, good for you, Elizabeth. Yeah, uh, what did you think of the romance in this movie, Mark? Well, depends on which one we're talking about. Well, let's talk about both. 
Or all three, depending on your point of view. Yeah, so Henry and Elizabeth have a grand total of, like, 30 seconds on screen together. They have an okay relationship. All of it is her nagging him that he's not God. Which, like, she is correct. She is correct. She is correct to tell him these things. And to be fair, he accedes to that point of view. In the end, the only reason he goes along with it is to save her. Right. So, he does, yeah, he does what she wants. Yeah. Okay. She is right. So that's all right. I don't know. What would you rate it? I have no idea. Me neither. Um, I we have the monster thing. Yeah. And we always try to take the movie as granted and assess it within the rules of its world. I would say the monster and the monster's bride, fake bride, yeah, is believable because it's a strange man touching a woman and she screams. Yeah. And then they die. And then and then he kills her for not going along with what he wants. Yeah. This took a dark turn. Oh, God. I didn't yeah. think about that. Wow, Mary Shelley, that was quite a moral to give us. Yeah. Um, oh, boy. Boy. Yikes. Uh, the most believable is Henry and Pretorius. Yes, of course. Yep. There They're we go. madly in love with each other. Uh, where do you want to rank this out of 10? Fun one again? I think it's better than that. Probably. I could do like... I could go to like a four on this. Yeah. It's just like I'm trying to average out the relationships. Maybe if Maybe a three. I'm, just, oh, I'm gonna I mean, stick with four, but I'll okay. let you say three. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of persuaded by all of these. Do you think a Henry and Elizabeth are dateable, Will? Uh, no. Elizabeth, maybe. Yeah. She's barely a character. We don't know seems, enough about her. She's pretty. She's pretty and reasonable and does not think that mad science is a good idea. Henry, though, is rich and has a title. True. He's also a mad scientist who keeps raising the dead. You know, sometimes people have quirks. That's a deal breaker for me, at least. Uh, but if you had to pick one person in this movie, who would it be? Oh, God, I don't know. Maybe Minnie? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably my the answer, The most too. insane person or, in the movie. Cross yourself, of quick! insane people. <laughs> or maybe the blind hermit. He was a nice guy. Well, yeah, he was nice. I'm not exactly into the idea of hermiting myself. Yeah. I mean, if you have to live in this world. Yeah. Oh, boy. All right. I think that does it. Yeah, might as well. Yeah. <laughs> Not sorry I watched this. No, guys, watch this movie. It's it real is fun. great. It's on demand. It's just talking about romance was very difficult. We should maybe do a little more research before we pick movies. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Will, we say, even if it's only a one-scene flirtation. That's true. That's we true. have to stick to our code. This is in the spirit. All right. So uh, if we're done with that, then that means it is, of course, time for another PD summary brought to us, of course, by listener Rachel R. We're working our way through the novels of the Princess Diaries series. Last week in Party Princess, Mia bankrupted the student council by buying fancy recycling bins. And that meant that there was no money left for graduation because the student council finances that. So then to raise money for it, well, actually not to raise money for it, Grandmare, who is terrible, wanted to throw a musical at the plaza about Princess Rosagund of Genovia, who was forced into a marriage and as revenge strangled her husband with her braid on her wedding night. And Grandmare wanted to throw a musical about her that she had written and... She blackmailed Mia into being into it because she's like, you're going to be in my musical or else I'm going to tell Amber Cheeseman that you bankrupted the SGA because Amber Cheeseman would be mad about it and Mia thinks would beat her up. Meanwhile, at the same time, Michael threw a party and Mia, while she was there, did a sexy dance to make him like her more, but accidentally did it with JP instead. JP, by the way, is the dude who does not like corn in his chili because one time his parents told an embarrassing story about him pooping and they told it to Sean Penn, who is their family friend. Also, meanwhile, Lily started a literary magazine and because she's a bad friend, she called it Fat Louie's Pink Butthole after Mia's cat. 
And Mia wrote a mean story about JP in it before they became friends. And she was like trying to get JP to not read it, but it wound up not mattering because he didn't get a chance because Lily had written a bunch of NSFW stories in it. So the magazines all got pulled from circulation by the school. So now with that on the side, oh, by the way, the play made enough money. They saved graduation, whatever. School year ended. This takes us to the eighth book in the series. We are not done yet. By the way, I checked in with Rachel and we are not doing the fraction books. We just have the integers. So this is book number eight, Princess on the Brink. Junior year, Lily takes over as student council president for some reason. Lily had also started dating JP over the summer. Okay. But they broke up right before school started back. Also, Michael has developed this robotic arm that can do minimally invasive heart surgery. This is a college sophomore. (laughs) So he's been invited to spend a year in Japan to develop it. Mia is really upset that he's leaving, and Grandma tells her that she should sleep with Michael so that he'll stay. What? This is no Julie Andrews. The queen is telling a princess to have premarital sex? In order to get her, for her high school boyfriend to not go to the country to work on his robot arm? I would feel that she wouldn't like Michael because he's not Genovian. Yeah. Okay. Weird advice, Grandmare. Mia decides to do this, even though she clearly is still not mature enough to be having sex. But they get in a huge fight when Mia finds out that Michael isn't actually a virgin. He slept with someone before Mia and Michael started dating, and Mia breaks up with him. Michael comes to high school to talk to her and sees her kissing JP, which she only did because she was confused or something. And then who sees them kissing? Kenny, the ex-boyfriend lab partner from like the third book. Kenny tells Lily, who was jumped by JP, and Lily then tells Michael. Mia tries to go to the airport to explain to Michael. She does the run to the airport thing. She tries. She tries to tell him. But his plane has already left. So now both Lily and Michael aren't speaking to Mia. Lily, shut up. You're the worst friend. <laughs> Lily never has any right to do anything. Yeah. Meanwhile, JP invites her to go see Beauty and the Beast on Broadway, and she says yes. End of book. That princess sure is on the brink. What is happening? We have two more of these. God, this series is awful. This is wild. Okay. Um, looking ahead, Mark, what do we have coming up next week? I hope you guys stick with us because we are all in this together. You got to get your head in the game, Mark. Next week, we are doing high Are we going to break free? You got to keep it going, oh, man. God, no. Pop to the top. That's enough. We're doing high school Cross music. yourself quick. <laughs> We're doing high school music all. Yay. It's going to be an adventure. It's going to be a lot. It's been years since I watched that. I don't think I've watched it since it premiered on the television. Okay. Well, that's uh, in the DVD pile, so we'll pull it from there. Yeah. Until then, of course, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe because it helps other people find the show. Last question, Mark. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? If you can't find someone, make them. I was going to say, if you can't get someone to get back together with you, kidnap their significant other and hold them hostage. There you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. Ooh, spooky. The monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. They did the mash.